What's up? It's episode 41, Pain Points of Wealth. And as always, there's a lot going on right now. We're starting to see inflationary pressures cool off a little bit. Tech stocks on the move again. So is it time to adjust your portfolio? Is inflation really transitory? Well, Bob, Chris, and I are going to break down the three major forces that are driving everything economically right now, everything in your portfolio that you need to know about. And on the tipping point today, we're going to talk about doing research. There's a lot of good ways and bad ways you can educate yourself with all the information out there. We're going to show you how to dissect the information, pick out good information versus bad financial information so you can make some better decisions. Let's hop to it. Hit the music. We got a great show for you today. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Well, guys, everything is going up but especially my age as I just celebrated my 68th birthday. How come these things keep coming so fast every year? Bob, you're only getting wiser and quicker with age. So you're just getting into your prime as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, flattery will get you everywhere, son. But anyway, we do have three forces that determine everything. Number one, labor shortage. My goodness, I went to my favorite restaurant, the uh, Schmitty's Clam Bar out in Summers Point. Can't even get into the restaurant. They don't have enough people. There's no dishwashers. They can't open a restaurant. Can't even get one dishwasher. They need seven. They can't even get one, for crying out loud. I mean, it's just ridiculous that people don't want to work. I'll tell you what, guys. I've been talking to a lot of my clients who are business owners, and they're all saying the same thing. They're complaining from everything from things are becoming more expensive to the fact they can't even get anybody to come to work. The people that are coming to work are demanding higher pay. Yeah. And I think that's the big underpinning issue here. When you talk about inflationary pressure, everyone's like, well, lumber costs are coming down now. Well, yeah, they just tripled. So it's not like they're going to triple again. At some point, you know, we have an old saying, what solves the problem of higher prices? So you're starting to see more equilibrium where a lot of these raw material costs are coming down from their highs. But the longer term stickler when it comes to inflation is labor costs. When you have to pay your employees more, you can't just say, you know what? I know I gave you a raise, but now I'm going to lower your income again. You know, it's very hard to reverse that trend. And you know, like we're talking about here, the problem is you know, that stimulus check is still coming out to a lot of people that are unemployed. It's probably better off getting that check than it is going back to work. And a lot of people aren't incentivized to go back to work till September when a lot of these benefits start to run out. And in the meantime, you have like eight, nine million job openings that they just can't fill. I see this as a longer term problem. It's not transitory, even though that raw material costs have come down a little bit. Well, that's the thing with raw material costs. I mean, okay, so there's a shortage of lumber. Is there a shortage of trees? I mean, they'll go out and they'll cut down more trees and they'll create more lumber, right? There's not enough steel. Well, you know, the steel mills can work overtime and produce more steel. Eventually, the supply chain will catch up with the raw material cost. But labor, that's a whole different story. When you start paying people more money, when there's bigger demand for your services, and let's face it, guys, the disappointing job numbers in the last two months point to the fact that employment is not going down, right? Unemployment's going up because people are not going back to work. These jobs aren't being filled. There's lots of openings. And the only way to entice people off the sidelines is with more money. And no one wants to get a cut in pay just because it's you know September or October. And I mean, look, the truth is companies are raising their wages. Everyone I talk to, a lot of my clients out there have had to give their employees raises, their business owner. We had big companies like Amazon raise their minimum pay. So you know these aren't going to be reversible. And the other problem is, you know, if you look at it, think about it before the pandemic started. We were already at full employment. I think unemployment got down under 4%. Now, that was a normal economy. Remember, we're going to a normal economy on steroids. 
So not only are the, all those jobs going to come back, but we're going to have more demand than ever. Like you hear about companies, not only are they back to where they were, but they want to start expanding. If they start expanding, that means they need more workers. And we already knew we were getting close to a labor shortage before the pandemic. So I, my guess is we're definitely going into a labor shortage. And that means longer term inflation, because if your costs go up because you're paying your employees more, well, guess what? You're going to raise your prices on us, the consumers. That's inflationary and that's a longer term trend. Good point, Ryan. I see that everywhere. So the second triumvirate of economic forces that determined everything is the weaker dollar. You know, it used to be King Dollar. I used to watch Larry Kudlow every week on his show with Jim Cramer talk about King Dollar. Well, King Dollar doesn't look so great right now. It kind of fell off its throne. It's been going down now for almost 12 months. Well, it's funny you talk about the weakening dollar. You know, for so many years talking to my clients, they had absolutely no interest in owning anything that was involved overseas, whether it was over in Europe or in the emerging markets. And if you just look at right now, like our international ETF is up over 16% this year, which is ahead of the S&P 500. Well, it's like simple math, right? And we're simple men. I mean, at least I'm a simple man. I don't know if I can speak for the two of you. But basically, if you start looking at growth in places like Europe, which was like a curse word the last 10 years, Europe's growth is going to be faster than the US next year. And you start looking at those emerging markets where the population is much younger, they have a growing population, they don't have a labor shortage like we have here, their stock markets are cheaper, their growth rates are higher. Also, you know, we love dividends. It's all about getting that cash flow. Those dividends that they pay are going up more this year than the US. So invariably, you know, money's starting to flow around the world. And this is like something we talk about a lot with our clients is you have to have a global portfolio. You know, the last 10 years, it was all about the US. It was all about big tech. That's not the next 10 years. And you know, one of the cornerstones to our portfolios, and everybody should be doing this, is having that global exposure. You can't just be US-centric because that's not where the growth is going to be. And from a population standpoint, talking about labor shortage, they don't have those problems like we have here in the US. Well, right. You know, that's so unconventional, right? People love to make money or lose money conventionally, right? So as long as I have the same portfolio as everybody else, I don't care that I'm underperforming. What? I mean, that's not the way people think right now. You've got to have an unconventional portfolio because right now, when you look overseas, you look at Europe, PE ratios are lower. The dividend yields are higher. Hey, guys, I just went through and looked at the quarterly dividends that are going to be paid next week. The only place in our portfolio where the dividend for the quarter is actually higher than it was year over year, and I mean substantially higher, was in Europe, Japan, and in the emerging markets, and in international real estate. I don't know about you, but more is better than less. And that makes me unconventional. Call me unconventional, Bob. Being unconventional means making more money. You know, I think we're all happy to be unconventional just to get a couple extra bucks in our pocket. So Chris, you know, with this dollar going down, I have a feeling that one member of our podcast is going to be broadcasting from Monte Carlo pretty soon, right? I mean, you know, who doesn't love France, but your brother? Hey, I do like going to the south of France. It's been a long time. But I mean, that's the other problem is that all those years I went to France in the summertime is the dollar was so strong, you'd make out against the euro, but that trend's reversing. Right, the dollar's been very, very weak since last March when we had all that stimulus start. And that's really how it works, right? If the government keeps printing more money, it's called dilution. It's kind of a simple concept where the more dollars you print, the less valuable they are. And last time I looked, the government's looking to print another couple trillion dollars, maybe like $6 trillion over the course of the next year or so. That's very bad for the dollar. It's like when Tesla was raising more stock when the price was way, way high. It's just a dilution effect. And that's going to be a longer term problem. Again, why you want to have a global portfolio? Because every day the dollar weakens, forget Bitcoin, any investments you have in foreign currencies go up. And those foreign investments you have, if they're in big companies, they pay dividends. So it's kind of like an offer you can't refuse right now. Well, you know, I agree with you, Ryan. We have the wage inflation is coming. It's here. We see it every day. We have the dollar weakening. 
And you know, let's not dismiss the third leg of this stool, supply chain pressure. You know, I'm still waiting for 17 items in my condo that I ordered six months ago. I mean, I left Florida, finally came back to New Jersey. I got tired of waiting for them to deliver furniture and pictures and rugs. You know, I came back to where I had a furnished place that I could live comfortably. I don't know when that stuff's ever going to get delivered. Well, you know what, guys, as much as I hate to admit it, I'm still handling all of our IT here at Payne Capital Management. You know, it's uh, feeling the burden. I just want you to know that. And, you know, recently I ordered a laptop for uh, one of our colleagues. And usually laptops come within a week. This laptop's not going to get here until the middle of July because there's such a shortage of semiconductors. Chris, I feel bad for our colleague doesn't have their computer, but you know who I really feel bad for is me because I lost my golf clubs. I mean, the shipping is ridiculous. I ship my clubs up. They can't find them. Mom showed up. Mine didn't. Now, you know, all I have the time to do is work. I mean, I can't even play golf. This is horrible. The struggle is real, Bob. The struggle is real. Well, this is the other issue, right? Because there's a, I guess, conventional wisdom on Wall Street right now. Like, well, they'll figure the supply chains out. They'll get that all fixed up as demand rises. But when you start looking at how long it's going to take to fix these supply chains, like look at the automotive industry. We know that people are going crazy buying cars right now. You just take what they'll give you. <laughs> you know, Forget what options. Just say, hey, if the car's there, I'm buying it. And they typically keep like 65 days worth of inventory. Now they're down to 34 days of inventory. But the crazy part is they're not going to fix that problem till 2023. That's two years away. So, you know, when we're talking about transitory, is transitory, and Bob, you talked about this before, is that a month from now? Is that two years from now? And it seems like a lot of these supply chains could take years to get fixed. Again, just more inflationary pressure that's probably not temporary. Well, you know, right. It's funny you mentioned about cars. You know, our cousin sells Cadillacs out in Colorado, and he was telling me the other day that customers are coming in and just putting orders in for cars. There's no haggling. You know that inventory is a problem when you can't even haggle for a car. Chris, it's not just cars, it's boats, it's planes. It's automobiles. It's everything. Bikes. I mean, everything is back ordered. There's an enormous amount of buying pressure. People are flush with cash. You know, I don't know if you guys saw the statistic the other day. At the end of last quarter, we hit an all-time record high in U.S. household wealth, $137 trillion, That's with a T. Trillion dollars in wealth. You know, back at the bottom of the pandemic, not the pandemic, but the financial crisis back in 2009, we were just below $70 trillion. It's doubled in a little over 10 years. I mean, people are flush with money. They want to go out and spend, but there's nothing to buy. Everything's off the shelf. And then you got to order things. They got to wait three to six months to a year to get. Well, think about this way too. It's like you're talking about this being a temporary bump in demand. I don't think so because if your wages are going up, you're wealthier than you've been, well, you're going to continue to spend. Americans love to spend and you're going to feel better about it if your wages continue to go up. And that seems to be the longer term trend here. And the good news about that is, is it's more on the lower pay scale. So if you're someone who makes lower wages, you're seeing your wages go up significantly. And typically what we find is if you're on the lower pay scale, you're a spender. People that are super wealthy, when their wages go up, they don't care as much. They save it. But if you're someone else who's middle class or lower middle class, you're going to spend that money and that could continue for a long, long time. So transitory schmandatory. <laughs> you know, I think this is going to be a longer term trend, even if we see a softening in inflation in the short term. So, Ryan, I mean, I hear you keep saying transitory, Chris. We know that Jerome Powell and just about every other official in Washington, D.C. is using that word or overusing that word right now. So I guess the question is for all of us, as we see the price of houses go through the roof, the price of lumber triple, you know, price of coffee go up. You look at your gas tank when you fill it up and you see oil going up and gas prices going up. What do you believe? Do you believe the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, you leave the chairman, the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, when he says it's transitory? Or do you believe your lying eyes? Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 41, Pain Points of Wealth. We've doubled our listenership over the course of last month. So thank you. If you like our content, love our content, don't be shy. Click the like button, whether it's YouTube, as a podcast, subscribe to our channel. 
And if someone else can benefit from our insights to the financial world every single week, don't be shy. Forward it along. Help us get the good word out. Pain points of wealth. We're rocking and rolling. All right, Chris and Bob, it's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So Bob and Chris, we all want to feel informed about our options when it comes to making decisions about our finances. So I thought we could discuss some of the good ways and bad ways we try to educate ourselves when it comes to our finances and really the best way that we can inform ourselves to make sure we're always making the best decisions. So you know, where are some of the places that we actually do get financial information? Unfortunately, most of the financial information that my clients talk to me about, they get from watching the boob tube. You know, I mean, you know, put on the television, you get these talking heads. They don't know anything about you. They don't know how old you are. They don't know where you are in terms of your financial planning. They don't know what your goals are. They don't know your risk tolerance is. But somehow they have one stock or one investment that fits all that everybody should be investing in. And that's where a lot of people get their investment information, thinking that's how you invest. It's the worst thing that anybody could possibly do. Yeah, well, I think it's dangerous too because these quote unquote experts, and of course I'm guilty of this because I go on these shows, but when I give information, it's different. It's always, you know, more valuable, better insight, but I digress. But you know, Bob, you and I were talking about like Jim Kramer. You're good looking too, Ron. You're also very good looking. We can keep it going. I have a uh, face for radio, as mom likes to say. No, but you know, Jim Kramer is the perfect example of this, right? He knows all this information about stocks, loves to pitch him when he's on you know, his show, Mad Money. And it sounds so good. It sounds so smart. But really, everything he gives in terms of advice is completely invaluable to you as someone trying to grow your wealth over time. And like, it's actually one of the worst things you can do. Well, you know, Rob, it's the Mr. Swenson, who used to run the Yale Endowment Fund, just passed away from cancer. God bless his soul. One of the most brilliant investors of all time said that Kramer is the most dangerous person in the investment world because he takes something that's really hard, really difficult, uh, especially for the individual investor, and he makes it into a game show. He makes it sound like it's fun and easy. And you pick a stock and it goes up and you ring a bell and you jump up and down and you celebrate. It's like nothing to do with that. He said, you know, he's the worst example of what you could possibly have for financial advice. Well, you know what? The other thing too is that people like Kramer and these folks that put out these newsletters, they speak in very certain terms. Like they know what's going to happen and they speak about it very charismatically. You know, the only thing I could say about that was Stalin and Hitler were very charismatic people too. Wow, Chris, that's cold. Well, that's a good point, but they also are great at playing Monday morning quarterback. It's great to tell you what just happened, right? Like, and the acting as if that they made these decisions about their portfolio way back when, say a stock was cheap, but we know that's not true. They're just basically recounting what already happened. And as we know, as investors, that's not valuable at all, right? Thanks. Thanks for telling me what's going on right now. That doesn't really give me in gifted insight. And besides the fact that me and millions of other people are watching the same shows, you know, there's no real gifted insight from watching these financial shows, 100%. Well, you know, guys, the most dangerous thing to your health, I'm talking about your personal health as well as your financial health, is the internet. The internet is full of information, but you can't find any wisdom. And I'll tell you what, it's the bane of doctor's existence, you know, to have the internet talk about every ailment and every symptom and to second guess your doctor. And the same thing happens when you second guess your financial plan. Your long-term plan is the internet makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do because it's a bunch of information you think has some authority, but all it can do is lose your money. Well, the other thing too, is you get a lot of these financial calculators online. You get a lot of these simple formulas. You know, one of my least favorite ways of getting advice are rules of thumb. <laughs> right? Because as we know, guys, like, you know, from literally dealing with 2,000 families at our firm, is financial planning is so customized. So if you use one of those blanketed calculators online that determines how much you need in 
retirement, like all those type of calculations you can run. Well, the problem is it's not really customized to you. And when you start talking about blanketed statements when it comes to financial planning, it's like the worst thing you can do, whether it's taking Social Security, when you can be financially independent, what percentage you can take from your portfolio every year. Well, it gets complicated when you start factoring in taxes, you start factoring in inflation, healthcare costs. It gets very complex very quickly. And again, going back to that simple formula, it just doesn't work when it comes to financial planning. Well, you know, Darwin's walls apply to biology and they apply to investing. You know, there's a lot of day traders out there now trading these meme stocks, Chris. Are they the same people that were trading the dot-com stocks? Yeah, I think so, Dad. I think the same speculation applies in the case of people that are trading the likes of GameStop and AMC. Hey, guys, that's where my whole net worth is right now. You're saying that's a bad idea? I'm concerned. But, you know, in all seriousness, again, it becomes this gamification of investing. And the other problem is, and we see this all the time, like I met a gentleman a couple of weeks ago, we did a Zoom call on his finances. And he's like, man, oh man, there's no good place to invest right now. I'm sitting in cash. You got inflation going up. We know the market's overvalued. The real estate market's overvalued. And he said, my problem is I haven't gotten invested over 10 years. And I thought to myself, well, that's the problem here. It's paralysis by analysis. Sure. All these things could happen. All these negatives can be out there, but nothing's really certain. And that's the problem with this guy. He missed a whole bull market the last 10 years because he couldn't figure out when to get invested. And he's continuing to do the same thing. So I think it's really dangerous when you start taking in all these opinions because all these opinions start to conflict with each other. You know, are we going to have inflation? Are we not going to have inflation? Is the market going to crash? Not going to crash? And really, that's like the worst way you can invest. Well, the problem is, right, we're all average normal human beings and we can rationalize anything. So I can tell you how that investor thinks. He's not wrong. He's just early. <laughs> right, right. He might be early for another decade if he doesn't get invested soon. Most dangerous words in investing. I'm not wrong. I'm just early. And you know what, guys? It's like if we invested based on what the news says, we would never make any money because there's always a reason not to invest. Well, you go through the history of the stock market, Chris, every headline Every day, there's a wall of worry, right? The market climbs a wall of worry because there was, if everything was certain, then there wouldn't be any risk, right? There wouldn't be any volatility. So what happens is that you get scared out of your investments by watching television, by reading the internet, by letting your fears overcome your common sense. And investing is common sense. Over time, the market's been going up for 200 years. It's the greatest wealth creator in the history of the planet. And there are some people out there today that don't even have a dime invested in the market. That I think it's Warren Buffett who said that volatility was designed to keep the uninformed poor. Yeah. Well, that's the problem, right? Because a good investment strategy, like the ones we build, are actually built so that you can ignore all the noise. Like you literally have to build a strategy that basically drowns out all the current opinions. Because good investing is not about what's happening currently, it's what's going to transpire over the next couple decades, right? That that's the whole idea. And, you know, like again, paralysis by analysis. We had a client the other day who was looking at one fund versus the fund that he owns. And he noticed that that fund did 5% better than his fund. And he doesn't want to know why he's in that fund. And, you know, you just get into the minutia like that. And who knows, you know, over a longer time frame, maybe the fund that we're in does 5% better. There's just so many little variables. And the more granular you get, the more you get into the trees, not looking at the forest. And I think that's what a lot of these financial calculators are. And I think it's a lot of what all this media barrages you with. It gets you into the trees and really you want to look at the overall forest. That's the difference between good financial planning and, again, getting to a position where you're doomed to fail. Well, that's the thing, guys. When it comes to investing, believe it or not, that if you have a lower IQ, you have a higher probability of making money in the market than someone with a higher IQ. It wasn't that those day traders back in the dot-com era were dumb. These were doctors, lawyers, corporate executives who quit their day job to day trade. They're very intelligent people. And they're very logical people. And that's what happened. 
They're so logical that what happened when they were met with new information on the internet, they felt they had a need to act. And what happened is they overtraded themselves into oblivion because they're buying and selling based on new information thinking they had to act and they lost all their money. Same thing's going to happen to these new traders. So it's not about being right every day. It's about being approximately correct over the history of your investing journey. And when you look at the history of the markets, stock market has been going up for 200 years. It's like this dirty little secret that, you know, oh, we're at a new high. Well, guess what? We've been at a new high your whole life. It's when those highs aren't realized that when the market pulls back from those highs is when everybody starts to second guess themselves. That's the opportunity to act. Yeah. And I think that's the irony too, is right. The more analytical we are, we have this belief that being analytical, being research driven gives you an edge when it comes to investing. It's actually not true. It actually makes you a worse investor when you do get too analytical and you get too into minutia. You know, whereas Bob, like you said, it's about looking at the big picture. It's making these big picture decisions where you don't have to be right every day that end up being the better moves. And they're longer term moves that really take you away from all that short term noise, which invariably distracts you and takes you away from creating that wealth, which invariably gives you financial independence. Well, guys, just look what happened at the last the end of the last quarter. I was talking to a client the other day and he said, Bob, he said, you know, why do you want to take the dividends from the end of the quarter and buy more of those dreaded pipelines? They've underperformed. And I said, yeah, that's why we did a tax swap with them last year. We took our losses and then reinvested that money into a different portfolio of energy pipelines. And he said, yeah, but why do we do that? I said, well, because you're up 80% over the last 12 months. He said, how can that be possible? And I said, well, that's how markets move. They move in the least expected. And if you're not in, you don't participate. You can't time these things. You have to be in it to win it, and you can't time it. It's the long-term investor, the prudent investor who diversifies in an unconventional portfolio that makes all the coin in the long run. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast with some due diligence of your own can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We'll put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right path to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below to see if you qualify for a free financial review. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 41, Pain Points of Wealth. We've doubled our listenership over the last month. Thank you. Please don't keep us a secret. Click the like button, subscribe. You can click the notification key if you're watching this on YouTube to get notifications of every time a new video comes out or a new podcast every single week. So please subscribe, click on that like button, help support us, get the good word out of Pain Points of Wealth. Chris, Bob, the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, the Fed is preparing to sell us $13 billion of corporate bond and ETF portfolios that it acquired during the COVID crisis in a vehicle known as a secondary market corporate credit facility. I wonder if that's going to put some undue pressure on the bond market. Well, first of all, Ry, this one's hidden because it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean a thing. $13 billion, while under their QE program, their quantitative easing program, they're buying $120 billion a month in mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. $120 a month versus 13 Who cares? Good point. It's a low number on a relative basis. Chris, 
The total number of internet connections globally will increase from 0.76 billion today to 3.6 billion by 2025. Hyperconnectivity impacts other unstoppable trends, including the rise of Asia. Many millions of people in Asia will gain internet access for the first time, transforming their consumer behavior. Well, you've got one of the largest increasing populations in the world getting connected to the best shopping mall in the world. So I think being an investment in emerging markets is really going to help in the future here, guys. Yeah, again, why you want to have a global portfolio, not a US-centric portfolio where we're literally depopulating basically over the course of the next couple of years. You got to go global. Can't stay domestic. Hey, Chris, I hope they fly my website so I can sell them some t-shirts. Bob says, I like that t-shirt idea. But Bobisms on t-shirts, I'd pay a pretty penny for a shirt like that. So Bob, in 2019, non-gambling activities accounted for nearly two-thirds of the Las Vegas Strip's revenue, up from 41% in 1989. So I guess what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and it's not just gambling. Well, it looks like those uh, legalized concerts are very expensive, or what legal activity are you actually referring to there, son? I'm not sure. I haven't been on a bachelor party over to Vegas, I have to confess. But I'm sure Chris has some gifted insights. Chris, the share of retirement age Americans working has doubled since 1985. That's why we won't let Bob retire. According to a study by investment firm United Income that examined federal data, 25% of people 65 years or older either work or are looking for work. Wow. Every single one of my clients that's over the age of 65 is financially independent, and 99% of them are still holding some kind of a job. And it just goes to show you that we are designed for accomplishment. We just can't sit around and do nothing. Well, that's true. You know, you look at our older clients, the ones that are the healthiest, the sharpest are the ones that stay very, very active in retirement. So beware of retirement where you're not active and you don't keep the brain going. I mean, it's, it's such a treacherous place to be. So Bobby can never retire. That's the point. Well, you know, Chris, you think people can sit around and do nothing. Why don't you come down after the podcast and watch Ryan work today? Do as I say, not as I do. We know that by now. Dad, Ryan's waiting till September for his unemployment to run out before he goes back to work. Right. Why am I doing this podcast today? I'm collecting a check. Come on, guys. You can do this without me for a couple more months. Well, hey, guys, before we wrap up, I think, you know, it's always important to express gratitude. And, you know, I think we can all agree that our podcast, since we started last August, has become enormously successful. And, you know, that's really due to the fact that we get great feedback from our clients and our friends. And you know, I just want to give out an honorable shout out to two folks. One is our friend Vince. Vince encouraged us to start this podcast. And on his advice, we did start the podcast. And you know, he continually gives us feedback week over week, which we implement into this program. And you know, the other person I'd like to give a shout out to are our friends Carly and Leslie, also loyal listeners and clients of our firm. They give us feedback week over week. And you know what? If it's not for our friends and clients and loyal listeners, we wouldn't have this podcast and it wouldn't be as good as it is today. So just want to express that gratitude. Thank you so much. And please continue to give us feedback and tell your friends about our podcast. And thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. And don't be shy. Subscribe, subscribe. We've been increasing our listenership. Thanks again to all our clients, our friends, and we'll keep it rolling. Yeah, you know, Chris, that advice has been really good, but tell them for me, I'm not growing a beard. Dad, I think you having a beard would look pretty scary. You'd start to look like Orson Welles in Citizen Kane. I think we would double our listenership again in a month if Bob grew a beard, just saying. You never know. Well, another great show. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. 
information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. 